This podcast is called Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest get some secrets off their chest. You should listen. It's the best. Hello and welcome to Obsessed with me, Joseph Scrimshaw. I am sitting in my home with a great guest. She is a dancer, a tree lover, historic a mansion manager, many other nouns, as well as my wife. It's Sarah Scrimshaw. Hello. Hello. Thank you for being in our home where we're all supposed to be right now. <laughs> it's my pleasure to be in our home where we're supposed to be. Everybody else isn't supposed to be in their home. Not yes. in our home. Yes. The, yeah. The, the, <laughs> it's not safer at somebody's home. <laughs> safer at your home, right? I think so. I think yeah. that's the implied safer at home. Yeah, that's the general spirit of it. Yeah. Uh, I am very aware as we record all of these podcasts that it will be amazing if uh, any historian ever decides to sit down, if it's a thing historians are doing, you know, uh, 500 years from now, say, I'm going to listen to this uh, whole run of this podcast. Oh, that's where something happened. Because now <laughs> every podcast is talking about their homes more. Right. That must be during this age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So this is uh, for people listening in the now times or people listening in the future thousands of years from now. Regardless, it doesn't matter. This is the 300th episode of Obsessed. Woohoo! Party! <laughs> Thank you for the uh, the miming some uh, noisemakers, I think what you did there, that, right? That is what I did. You know, miming on public podcasts works really well. Ooh, I'm, I don't know how to Was that a party uh, I was actually noise? Yes, that's why I mimed the first time is because it sounds better when I mime. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, I think for listeners, uh, to be honest with listeners, it's, it's a little bit later in the evening as we're recording and mm-hmm. we are at home, but we have both worked a long, hard day, and now we're going to celebrate with this uh, 300th episode of Obsessed. But any loopiness you hear is because we are still working, <laughs> and it's late, and we have some drinks. So in we order do. to celebrate the 300th episode of Obsessed, I would like to cheers uh, my martini to your glass of wine. Here we go. Nice tink for the <laughs> podcast. There we go. Oh, I'm sure oh, that picked up very yeah, well. Here we that go. was lovely. I'm just going to note that that was you. (laughs) You did not slurp your wine. I did not. I slurped my martini, (laughs) and it was great. It is one of the things that I'm obsessed with. And that's what we're going to talk about uh, for this episode. I thought the best way to celebrate 300 episodes of Obsessed, actually 300 plus, because we've also done some movie reviews that we did not count numerically. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to just take a look at the idea of obsession, Mm -hmm. sort of what that word means, what it means to you, what I've learned over all of these years of interviewing people about their obsessions. And then I want to ask you about some of my obsessions and see how they impact you in which ones you think are the biggest ones and the littlest ones and the most exciting ones <laughs> and all all sort of stuff like that. It's going to be fun. It's going to be good. I'm glad that you have that uh, very solid prediction. So let's uh, dive right into it. Um, the dictionary definition of obsessed is preoccupy or fill the mind of someone continually, intrusively, and to a troubling extent. <laughs> and then the example it gives is, he was obsessed with the theme of death. <laughs> so the dictionary is, is coming on pretty strong. It's pretty judgmental. Pretty judgmental. Mm-hmm. Like, back off, dictionary. Uh, to you, you don't, we don't have to agree with the dictionary, because we have to factually 
but words change, words evolve over 300 episodes of a podcast. To you, what does obsessed mean? Mm, well, I think I, it's been an interesting evolution for me throughout the throughout the history of this podcast because I I think I did originally come very much from closer to the dictionary definition that if you're obsessed with something, it's really it's the thing or one of the things, but that there's like a, a small finite number of things that a person is usually obsessed with. And you think about it a lot and possibly, honestly, I might have thought at the beginning that it might be uh, an unhealthy amount of, and just like, this is a thing you're thinking about all the time and you want to read things about it or do things about it or, you know, it, if it's food, like, eat it, like I, you want to <laughs> partake in it in all the ways possible. Like um, roast beef obsessed where they only eat <laughs> roast beef and a roast beef sandwich is a piece of roast beef in between two other pieces of roast beef. I mean, that would be pretty obsessed. Obsessed, yeah. Uh, and perhaps in an unhealthy way, we'll say. <laughs> Dietarily, yes. Yes. But I've enjoyed over the course of the podcast thinking about obsession as something that can be like obsession can be a current obsession not necessarily a lifelong obsession or that it can be something that you that there are varying degrees of obsession that to be obsessed doesn't mean you're a 10 out of 10 yeah you can be a 6 out of 10 and still have some level of obsessed uh, is what I have the opinion that I developed from this podcast Oh, well, that's nice. That's very good. Yeah, I think my my relationship to it has changed so much over the years. I think I've always been uh, intrigued. I was going to say obsessed with the word obsessed. Mm -hmm. I think it's possible. It's possible that the first time I encountered the word obsessed is in the opening crawl to Empire Strikes Back. Uh, it says Darth Vader is obsessed with finding Skywalker. <laughs> uh, and I think I found it kind of funny in a self-deprecating way like mm. uh the first time i did anything with the idea of obsession in the year 2000 i did a show called obsessed long before i did the podcast a live stage comedy show and it was myself and three friends and i i had seven sketches about seven things i was obsessed with Mm -hmm. uh, and many of them that have continued and some uh, like at the time I worked at Kinko's and so I had a sketch about Kinko's because it was something like I have to be obsessed with Kinko's because I have to be there 40 plus hours a week mm -hmm. so that's kind of a have to obsession but I think uh, my age and also I think our cultural relationship with comedy at that time really 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 leaned toward the self-deprecating mm -hmm. I, I think there is still some of it now but it was so much about it and i i think i really leaned into yeah i like these things too much and i kind of want to poke fun at myself for that and mm. it's comically humorously bad to like something too much it makes you abnormal you know interesting and then i think i still had that like oh that's so fun i i really like uh talking about obsessions so when i wanted to do a podcast that that old show came to mind and it's like, oh, I could sometimes talk about my own, but I could mostly interview other people. And I really like trying to understand why people like things. But even when I started the podcast, I think it really was from that perspective that an obsession is uh, a humorously, not, not entirely negative thing, but that there was that element to it, mm -hmm. that, it that that's why it's funny, because you shouldn't be that into a thing and I don't think I, I don't think I really consciously analyzed that until I started sitting down with all of these people 
in seeing so many people who were like, oh, I don't know if I want to come on and admit that. And then I would talk to people and I would see the glow in their eyes and see how much that it was just something that they loved. Yeah. You know, and over time, I've had this different relationship with the word obsessed where like the dictionary is saying like, yes, it's intrusively, you know, and I have people who come on and, and love something give it a, a ton of their time, a ton of their energy. It's a big part of their life. It's, you know, helped shape their life philosophy. But then they all have, almost always have these like extremely healthy boundaries of, mm. yeah, but I don't let it invade this part of my life or oh, I would never do that for it. And, and over time, I have talked to so many people that just makes me feel like um, th- this idea that we all like things a lot. Maybe every once in a while we do start to cross the line into something that is unhealthy, Mm -hmm. but it's good to love things a lot to the point where you go like, ooh, I'm obsessed and I want to share that with people. Yeah, and I think that's the thing about the podcast having been around for for these 300 for these 300 years <laughs> uh, a little bit of subtext coming out there is um that it is so much about people sharing wanting to share and i find that's what i enjoy when i listen to it but i also want to say back when the show uh the podcast started it was also a live show i, I never felt like you were poking fun at people I mean, you are a kind person. You would not be like, come on my podcast. I'm going to poke fun at you. But it was more that how far are you willing to take this? You know, would you wear, you know, a suit entirely made out of, you know, encyclopedia pages because you're obsessed with encyclopedias? Yeah. But it's not like, uh, it wasn't judgmental, I guess. Yeah. I think, yeah, I don't think I ever came across it as judgmental. Mm -hmm. You know, even back when I did that live show in 2000, it's a great memory. I had a great time crafting it with those three friends. And Mm -hmm. and it it was all, I got to spend time thinking about what's funny about things that I love or sharing them. Like one of the sketches was, uh, I want to do something Star Wars. And uh, my friend Tim Wren suggested that we do the the lightsaber fight uh, between Obi-Wan Kenobi and Darth Maul in Phantom Menace. Uh, but it emerged out of an odd couple living together and they got mad at each other's living like uh, habits while they were living and uh-huh. together and then had that lightsaber fight. And we tried to re-choreograph that with toy lightsabers. And, like it was <laughs> joyful and dumb. Uh, and when I started doing Obsessed as, as a live show back yeah. in Minneapolis at the Bryant Lake Bowl, there was much more of an emphasis on, great, I want to hear why you like that, but then let's make jokes. Let's kind of tear into the thing let's let's find out what's what's uh, weird about it or what's weird about you and and there was much more of a focus on let's get the last let's get the last mm-hmm. and i think the big thing is like i've never i never approached it as negative i never approached it as i'm gonna get this person on and find out what an idiot they are because they like gardening it never came from a negative place but i think it took me a while to step back and go if you analyze the comedy construct of why being obsessed is funny, mm-hmm. it gets into uh, self-deprecation very quickly. And it is funny, I, since I have kind of stepped away from that yeah, and come to be like, well, this podcast, I want it to be fun and I want it to be funny and I want to make jokes, but I also want to celebrate the thing that people love and how, what what can we learn about who different people are by what they love and how they love it. Uh, but then people... So I have that uh, that uh, perspective now. Mm-hmm. But then when guests come on, I'll, there's some guests who have a real self-deprecation shield of like, I can 
sort of make it okay that I really like this thing if I mock it in these very traditional ways mm-hmm. or I'm not, not it that I mock my love of it mm-hmm. like it'll come up a lot when in the how obsessed are you section when I ask people like uh, when people walk into your home can they tell you're obsessed and people go like no I keep that in my bedroom or I keep that in my office I don't need people to see that weirdo truth you know <laughs> and there's these little bits of self-deprecation self-judgment attached mm-hmm. to it uh, from guests sometimes yeah. And it, it's been an interesting way for me to have to face like, oh, that is that is a there's a real choice in in what this idea is, what this podcast is. Is it a celebration of things we love or is it a little poking fun at us for liking things too much in, mm-hmm. in a borderline unhealthy way? Which do you think it is? I think it has become much more a celebration. I still I want to let people be their honest self. So if, mm-hmm. if self-deprecating is is what is their truth then I, I try not to push back too much um and i don't mind making jokes at my own expense if i can think of times and moments that i sincerely cross the line which i absolutely have and mm-hmm. probably will in the future <laughs> and can step back and have a sense of humor about it i think that's good and healthy mm-hmm. but i want it to be like it's good that we love things and it is good that we can kind of make choices about what we love and share it and find out how loving different things connects us yeah absolutely i agree (laughs) (laughs) okay uh so we talked talked about obsessed a lot there but I, i want to figure out specifically when you think of the word obsess what is the positive part of it to you oh um something that brings people joy um i guess i'm starting from kind of the general sense yeah um yeah so i and i i i mean i don't mean to just be like because of this podcast i think i've thought a lot more about it because of uh doing you doing this podcast in our home and yeah. the number of times i've been on it um and listen to it and i think it is it has switched in my mind from being a oh, if you say you're obsessed with something are you either yeah poking fun at yourself or slightly unhealthy to oh well that's really cool that that's a thing that you really like in a way that you're obsessed with and maybe want to share maybe want to keep it personally personal but it is I now I think of it much more associated with joy yeah than with either yeah poking fun or possibly unhealthy <laughs> <laughs> oh good yeah that's very I've good I've had I've had a growth curve good Good. And you, I mean, you've talked about many of your own obsessions by being on the podcast and, and uh, examining them more. Have you found more joy or more understanding of your own relationship with the thing? Yeah. Yeah. It's been very interesting because I have said many times I'm not a person who obsesses on things, but I have discovered that I do more than I thought I did. Um, and so that's actually been really fun. I'm like, oh yeah, no, I'm actually really like to think about that or want to think about other ways I could interact with, for example, trees. Um, (laughs) not that I need more ways, but, um, yeah, no, it's been really interesting kind of what it has unlocked in my mind. Yeah. And I think we have, uh, figured out through this podcast and please tell me if I'm full of hooey that you are a serial obsessor. Like that there are some things in your life like, yo, yeah, I've, I've liked that all my life, but that you are really a person who will be like, I'm super into this for a few years. Yeah, well, 
I actually wouldn't have said that about myself, but you're probably correct. <laughs> I think I, the reason I say this on some of the episodes that we've done together, yeah. and, and I have encountered this with other guests too, where they're like, this is just a thing I really like right now, but I'm not going to make room for it to be this huge presence in my life. Yes. It's a thing that I like, and I'm thinking about it a lot right now because it's that season or that movie just came out. But in five years, it'll be like, that's a movie I liked. But right now, I want to gobble everything up. Yes, yes. And I think there's some obsessions that are, like you said, are long term and some that are more passing. I think I was taking that as mean that I was um, flighty. Oh, good God, no. I I don't think I am. (laughs) That would be an example of a kind of joke I have no interest of making. Through my (laughs) podcast, I found out my wife's really flighty. It's just trees and me, and she can't hold on to anything else. That is not what I'm saying. I I appreciate the clarification. No, I, I, I flighty isn't quite the right word. No, I know serial but, obsessor um, does sound like you you don't uh, stick to something. Oh, uh, uh, periodic obsessor. Yeah, I think what it is is there are things that I get very interested in and think a lot about, but then um, there's just so lo- so much in life that um, that I find fascinating that I need to move things around to make room for the new things. Yes, and so it's not, and I also. There are a few things that I feel like I am truly obsessed about, but I feel like there are a lot of things I am very, very interested in or really like, but it's not like I don't have the, like, oh, today I'm going to insist that we paint our bedroom the colors of my new favorite comic book. And then next week I'm going to, or next month, I'm going to insist that we paint it the colors of inspired by my favorite Jane Austen book. I'm like, (laughs) I think it's that I don't. I think of that as like grandiose actions, and I'm not necessarily a grand action person ever when it comes to my obsessions. It's much more an internal thing for me. Yes. That's and our, I think that's a very good distinction. Yes. I think, yeah, and a lot of my questions are geared toward how do you express it? Mm-hmm. And sometimes there are people who are like, I think about it, and I, I enjoy it, <laughs> mm-hmm. and then I go about my life. <laughs> I'm super glad that you are not obsessed with uh, repainting uh, the bedroom <laughs> on a monthly basis. <laughs> I think I think that might be a hard one for you. <laughs> Given that we've lived in our apartment for several years and don't quite have all the pictures up we want to have yet, that doesn't seem like a good obsession for us. Just yeah. life maintenance yeah, wise. No. Yeah. For myself, I wanted to say like the the most positive part of the idea of obsession is that it can really be a choice, and that's where it can be. I think still an obsession, close to way the way uh, the dictionary defines it, not as mean as the dictionary <laughs> defines it. But it can be pervasive and uh, it can be kind of uh, constant and even intrude on other things. But you can make that choice. You Mm -hmm. can say, I want to really right now make room in my life for a lot of things to be about action figures. I want to spend time doing podcasts about them. I want to look for them in stores because it's giving me a lot of joy right now. And it can be a choice or, Mm -hmm. you know, even something much more productive like gardening or trees or uh, yeah. gardening and trees are similar but you know what i mean you can yeah. make a a healthy choice to say uh without uh stopping <laughs> you know working without stopping uh, without doing damage to my relationships it is fine for me to choose i'm gonna give 60 percent of my energy to this interest mm-hmm. uh, particularly if you know that's what you're doing yeah. And are making the choice to do it. That yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. And you don't need to be self-deprecating about it if you're aware and it's a choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Uh, I think the other thing for me is a lot of that sort of comedy of being obsessed comes from basic opinions about comedy, that all comedy comes from contrast and the difference between a straight line and a crazy squiggly line is comedy. And when you uh, make jokes about yourself being obsessed, you're sort of making this argument that everybody else is a straight line. I'm this weird squiggly line that can't stop thinking about fan fiction. I'm a weirdo. Mm. And I think doing this podcast for so many years with so many different people, so many different kinds of obsessions just makes me feel like a, a thing that I know is truth but to get to experience it, that we are all squiggly lines. None of us are weirdos because we are all weirdos. We all have something that we are into a lot or something that has really uh, helped define us or defines our actions in, you know, our modern lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. We are all squiggly lines. (laughs) We are all squiggly little weirdos. Uh, (laughs) So let's talk about the negative side of it because it is there for you. Uh, what is the negative side of obsessed? When is it too far or too much? Um, well, I think, I mean, you touched on it with if it Im- negatively impacts the the positive things in your life, like <laughs> you don't go to work because you're too busy thinking about your obsession or it impacts your relationships with other humans or creatures in your life that are important to you. <laughs> I don't want to leave out the cats and dogs and horses out there. <laughs> I totally knew that you meant... Pets and other animals that you give care for. But look, uh, when we can all interact in person again, uh-huh. we're going to need to be able to ask each other new questions rather than just <laughs> how are you or what's going on. Yeah. And I, I deeply just want to go up to people and ask, how are your creatures? <laughs> how have your creatures been? Right. Do you have any creatures? Are they doing okay? Yeah. Are you going to get some creatures? I think you'll get some answers too. <laughs> Might be a wide variety of answers. <laughs> a wide variety of creatures. Please continue. Um, yeah, so I would say to me those are kind of obvious potential negatives. And I think for myself personally, it's also the, I think I'm obsessed with being able to do a lot of things and have time to spend on a lot of different interests. So for me, a negative of obsession would be if I were spending too much time on one thing and therefore not enough time on other things. Yes. And I think that's a very personal one for myself. I don't think that's universal for obsession, Um, but it can be. And also I'd say, you know, there's nothing wrong with loving the things that you love, but if it stops you from ever trying something new or discovering new loves and new obsessions, that could be a negative as well. Yeah. I think that's really great. And I think you and and many other guests, but you in particular, have really helped me to think about, understand and appreciate that idea of making, loving a lot of things. So making choices about where you spend your time. And over the years, I've been, you know, very aware of like, well, I loved all these things when I was a kid. And now that I've gotten older, um, and in particular, now that we live in a pop culture landscape, we're talking about pop culture, sharing it online. Here's what I read. Here's what I'm rereading. Here's what I have t-shirts of. Here's the day I'm choosing to celebrate. Here's the Facebook group I'm choosing to be in. Mm-hmm. If you like things particularly, I guess I say particularly in the pop culture sphere because that's mine, but I'm, it's the same for everything, right? Uh, the way the internet works now, anything you love, you can make mm-hmm. your whole thing. Um, and I, for a while, I was just kind of mystified about like, how did I how did I have time to so deeply love all of those things when I was a child? And I kind of started to come to realize is like, well, there just wasn't the same volume of content. 
Mm -hmm. But also, well, when I was a kid, and I'm talking about like fifth, sixth grade, you know, through high school, like I had some schoolwork, but I wasn't like it didn't take all of my time and I didn't have a ton of after school activities and I didn't, you know, I wasn't worried about uh, relationships and jobs and career. And I realized I just, I had a lot more time in my mind. Mm. So I had a lot more time to go like, well, today I'm just, you know, walking home from school and imagining Luke Skywalker jumping from, (laughs) you know, pole to pole. And uh, the next day it's going to be Spider-Woman. And then the next day I'm just going to walk home thinking, what if I could teleport there with the TARDIS? And I had so much more just empty rambling mind time yeah for all of the different things i love that in understanding that has helped me just go this is weird but as an adult i need to go well i've spent a lot of time with star wars this week maybe i should make some time for twin peaks (laughs) (laughs) it's very it's really really weird to think as an adult like i need to schedule my obsession time yeah but it's helped me yeah, well, and especially when you're interacting with it, whether it's watching something or reading something or even, I mean, not like you're going to control everything you're thinking about, but it, I think it, it is a really interesting concept of how do you balance that time. And this is fascinating, just thinking just what you said about kind of we were walking home from school, didn't have as many things to do. I think I have always been this way where I've had a lot of different interests and wanted to spend time with different Um, doing different things and looking at different things. But when I was in middle school and high school, I was dancing all the time, but also still trying to do theater all the time and also still trying to do choir every single day (laughs) and also still trying to do band every single day. So I did have that, like, I've got to be able to have room for everything. And I think in a way like that maybe was part of my obsession was that I need to be able to do all of these things. Yes, you were a constant triple threat, a quadruple threat. <laughs> yeah, and I had a lot of homework. Yeah. I did not sleep in high school. Yeah, I mean, that's the true quadruple threat. Singing, <laughs> acting, dancing, homework. Right? Yeah. <laughs> she can do algebra and a pirouette. <laughs> you were High School the Musical all by yourself. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, yes, I think that's... Uh, I, I went off on a bit of a tangent there, but on the negative side, I think... You can uh, silo yourself, which uh, it can be a wonderful thing that there are communities where uh, where people are like, I'm all about this 24 mm-hmm. seven and it's a choice and they're great with that. And, and I have no uh, critique of people who, who can do that successfully. Yeah, absolutely. For myself, I think I get I, I am aware of the danger of once you're in your silo, there's a danger of not being aware of other ideas Mm -hmm. and also just getting caught up in the politics of whatever it is like um i've been so lucky to be doing that uh four center uh star wars podcast and feel much more part of the star wars community and and i get to hear lots of cool things from people and interact with people and it's great and uh, there are people in the star wars community who are there 24 7 and it's just a joyful thing and then there are other people who are just like you are mired in the rabbit hole of today's politics about this person got hired and this group of Star Wars fans said this, so I'm going to subtweet them. But then this person saw that subtweet and they're upset about this. And like, there to me, there can be this negativity of 
you need to be able to see out of your silo and remember, yes, this is important, but to what degree? Mm-hmm. Because there's all of these other worlds and ideas out there. Mm-hmm. And none of that is to disparage uh, uh, Star Wars fans or fans of anything. Yeah, I think I, I developed my strong silo opinions opinions from arts communities and mm-hmm. and you know performing and working with lots of people and being like, well, this is uh, we do sketch comedy. Well, we do improv. Okay, but if you do improv, do you do sketch? Uh, do you do short form or do you long form? Oh, we do theatrical comedy. It's neither sketch or improv. It is you know a play. Like oh, but we do plays, but we don't do comedy. Or we do plays, but we do Shakespeare. We do Shakespeare, but we don't do the comedies. We do the, like mm-hmm. in. And going in and out of all of those worlds and seeing how quickly and easily people can get caught up in only the dynamics, only the obsession of their silo mm-hmm. has always wanted me to go, I, as much as it is my instinct to go all in, I always want to have like a window open in the silo mm-hmm. and look into other silos to just remind myself, is the thing that I think really, 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 really important actually important? Or is it because I'm too caught up mm, in yeah. the politics of this silo? Yeah. Does that make sense? Or am I a, a, a ranting uh, person? <laughs> <laughs> Why not both? <laughs> Why not both? <laughs> it's like being on Twitter. It's a very good, uh, very good response. <laughs> no, I think it does make sense. Um, yeah. Yeah, that was an obsessive uh, comment <laughs> about the dangers of being uh, obsessive. Uh, you yourself have done a lot of topics for the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, just off the top of my head, we've talked uh, about trees and dance and Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that one. Yeah, it was a good one. It was. Um, what do you feel is for you a, a defining obsession that has been with you your whole life that is a a totally positive, joyful thing? Mm. Um, Well, I would say both trees and dance, uh, definitely, which being on the podcast helped me realize how much trees have been a a personally defining um, obsession for me throughout my life. I don't think that other people would necessarily have any idea that that is one of my obsessions. Um, But for me, it is. I think also, um, and this is one that's kind of come and gone a little bit over the years but as as I think about it it's one that's important to me now I remember it being important to me when I was younger maybe walking home from school things like that of just kind of that um I don't have the right the right words for it so bear with me for a moment but kind of um like the interplay between the human world and the natural world (laughs) (laughs) I'm partially laughing because you are making these amazing hands that (laughs) They look like a golem reaching for the ring. <laughs> Trying to find the right words. Yeah. You know, like when I was little, it was the idea of like fairy hills and do like that's a looks like the perfect nook for like a gnome to live in and, and things like that. But also just like so it was kind of that otherworldly side of it, the kind of the fairy tale myth side of it. But it was also just that like how do how do humans and the how do humans in the built environment interact with the natural world? Which is not how I would have said it when I was nine, <laughs> but it's how I'll say it now. And I I am truly like, that is a thing that I do just sit on the bus and think about. Yeah. And uh, I would say that that actually is another obsession of mine. That makes a lot of sense because it is a big philosophical idea, but it has uh, immediate 
obvious practical applications in a lot of the things that have uh, garnered the most interest from you in life can sort of be traced back to that all of those relationships between the organic and the structured right mm -hmm. uh certainly dance because it, it to me that's an amazing like flowing organic movement mm -hmm. uh, for a viewer but it is also like very structured and it is it, to me you know dance is one of the, like the most beautiful esoteric art forms because you know sometimes a choreographer will make something that has like ah they're they're cultural signifiers this is explicitly about x but so many, so many times, it's these flowing, beautiful movements that evoke a feeling, mm -hmm. and there's that relationship there. That uh, obviously, uh, trees have a lot to do with <laughs> the natural yeah. world. Uh, you have a deep love of history, and you've ended up in your career working at various historic mansions. So that gets into like the real, actual, physical interaction between the structured and the organic world around it, and mm -hmm. the preservation of it. So. Those ideas all have uh, interesting connections to that overall obsession to me. Mm -hmm. Excellent. I'm glad that <laughs> I'm glad it makes sense. Sorry, I'm kind of lost in thought now, thinking about all the different ways that that actually is truly a thing that I think about more than I. Re I've, I've slowly been realizing how much this is kind of what I truly think about all the time. Yeah, and I think maybe that is one of the things that I have enjoyed the most about this podcast is asking, like, when oftentimes when people, when I ask people to come on the podcast, uh, a couple things happen, mm -hmm. is either there'll be a person like, yes, I'm so obsessed, here is uh, 27 things, or sometimes they'll say, I don't know if I'm really obsessed with anything, and then the fun thing is always ask your a romantic partner or best friend or parent or child and whoever is very close to you will give you a list of 27 <laughs> things because we're all obsessed with stuff and we sometimes uh, don't actually notice it or see it. Mm -hmm. um, but the really fun thing, once you get people to go, oh, yeah, I, I'm obsessed with something and then come and sit down is I so love trying to ask them, hey, it's not about knowing the most about your obsession. It's not about facts. It's about your relationship to the obsession because then it starts to get people to think about it critically, mm. to not just go, ah, yeah, I, I, I really like that band, but to start to think about exactly the kind of thing you were saying of what is underneath that? What is the like almost primal aesthetic or uh, emotional value or kind of identity shaping thing that connects it. And so it's really, really cool to hear you go, oh, uh, here's here's the thing that really it's it's not just a band I can listen to or an activity I can do. It's this um, conceptual idea mm -hmm. about the nature of the world that is underpinning so many <laughs> of your obsessions. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And um even some of the other ones, as you're talking just now, that kind of are a little bit lighter, but I remembered I did an obsessed about cocktails, which I would also say I'm obsessed with. But part of that also is like, what's the like, it's again, taking things from the world. What's the um, the aesthetic of it? And also you've got the positive and negative connotations. I like wine, but I've always been very careful to be like, I am not obsessed with wine because being obsessed with wine has such a negative connotation. Right. To me, 
which I have friends who are obsessed with wine. I don't have, think negatively <laughs> of you. Let me say that loud and clear. Um, but I just, I that has always been that push-pull. So I think just talking through it right now and finding this other obsession that like, oh yeah, no, that, that actually is a thing that I'm like at my core obsessed with. Yeah. How, how do you relate? Okay, can you restate for me again uh-huh. in, the, in the simplest terms this uh, organic structure re- thing you feel you're obsessed with? The um, the relationship and interaction of the the built environment, the human Im- the human created environment with the natural environment. Okay, how do you feel Excel spreadsheets relates to that? Oh, there could be so many ways. I mean, you could collect data, you could create pivot tables, you could probably do some graphs of like places that are have a you know like are they going to have um, more of a lean more toward kind of the built, lean more toward the natural. How has it changed over time? You've got things like, look at the LA River is kind of a perfect example of it. It's filled in with concrete, and they're trying to, in some places, take that out and let the nature come back. So it actually is a functioning, you know, biodiverse place that it's supposed to be. But there is also a real reason for it. It, There was a flood, and a lot of people died, and they were trying to prevent that. So there's this, like, constant push-pull of, as we're trying to, you know, how, how do we control nature? How do we build things for ourselves? Where is there a line? How have we, you know, building a big condo building isn't because we're trying to control nature, but it also kind of is because you have to make sure you build it here in, you know, Southern California to earthquake standards. And you're not just living in a hut that you've carved out of the dirt. So, (laughs) sorry. (laughs) No, this, I could not have asked for a more perfect demonstration of intriguing and joyful obsession. I asked you about Excel spreadsheets, and in seconds you got to the destructive power of the L.A. River (laughs) and the possibility of living in huts versus condos. You know, (laughs) we can learn all of that from Excel spreadsheets. (laughs) So on this very special 300th episode of Obsessed, Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not going to ask the traditional how obsessed are you questions. Instead, I want to take a little bit of time to talk through some of my obsessions. Uh, Mm -hmm. I am very obsessive, which is why I do the podcast called Obsessed. Uh, And I want to ask you a little bit from the outside of what you think of my obsessions. If you think they're ones that I'm super obsessed with, uh, if they've had a big impact on our lives together, how you might rate them, all that kind of stuff. Uh, And to get us started, I am going to read. This is not complete list because there are lots of things like oh wow i'm super into that movie for a year or i'm doing this show right now or whatever kind of obsessions mm-hmm. trying to do really big things that have stuck with me for a long period of time or have become sort of baked into some of my obsessive dna so here we go you ready i'm ready all right comedy slash live performing slash theater writing in general a painting and drawing drumming squirrels bears and sloths social media mostly Twitter, Star Wars, Doctor Who, Twin Peaks, David Lynch in general, James Bond, superheroes, action figures and toys, video games, Guns N' Roses, Frank Sinatra, martinis, and podcasting. Mm-hmm. It's a good list. <laughs> were you, in that mm-hmm, were you emotionally assessing the list or marrying me? Oh, goodness. <laughs> no, I See, mean, that self-deprecating. Oh. No, let me make that very clear. I was not uh, I was not thinking about that at all. I was just thinking through like, oh, yeah, that's, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was kind of thinking through if there was anything that I would list that wasn't on the list. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
I'm but I think a- it's a very good list. Okay, so you think it's pretty complete? There's nothing major I, I left off? Um, nothing major that's... Um... My wife. I should have listed that as an obsession. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's, it's weird after even doing, you know, years of this podcast and talking people into being comfortable and, and joyful about their obsession. Some of those I'm like, great. And others like, I still feel a little vulnerable. Like, will somebody yeah. think I'm too into X? So even after all of this, yeah. I still am a suspect or uh, susceptible. Yeah. Well, you've just given me a breakthrough on your 300th podcast, so let's see if we can find one for you. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, so you think that's a good, complete list? Mm-hmm. All right. You're still happy to be married to me? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Good. Good. I'm very happy to be married to you. This good. is all going great. <laughs> we don't want any of those epiphanies right on the podcast. Uh, so let's uh, start at the top then. Comedy slash live performing slash theater. Now, this is, right, that's baking in a lot because I have, I have done so much different kind of performing. Yeah. And and comedy. If I may. Yes. When you were reading that one, my reaction to that one was laughter. Because to me, those are three separate things that you are (laughs) obsessed with independently. Both they connect, but I feel like from the outside, the obsession that I have seen with them is separate. Ooh, okay. In what way? Well, I would say, um, you know, comedy, definitely. Because... There's both the comedy of the performing of comedy, but also the thinking about comedy and what is comedy. And you're such a uh, student and obsessor about um, (laughs) kind of the nature of comedy in a way that I haven't, you know, just like a really you approach it from a lot of different angles. And I feel like if you could wear pajamas that showed <laughs> the nature of comedy on the fabric you you definitely would oh yeah pajamas right? with Henri Bergson's uh yeah philosophy yeah. of comedy on it yeah I'd you would you would love it um so I feel like that to me is a different obsession than live performance right because that's a, a comedy is an obsession that does have the live performance element but it's so much more and I guess similarly I guess theater I also feel like is its own Yes. Separate. I feel like they're related, but I would put those as three separate cells in my Excel spreadsheet. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, I think one of the other obsessions I could have listed is being mad at myself for <laughs> liking and doing too many different things. Like, you, one wants to just say, I have made the choices I've made in life, and I have had all these great experiences, I've met all these great people, and if I had made different choices, I wouldn't have had those, and... You know, all that matters is the moment you're in and all those things. But I have definitely had times where I'm upset with myself to go like, why can't you stick with one thing? And even, even just trying to boil down like live performance, I did so many things. And and that's, I think, a part of my grumbling about the silos is because a lot of my experience, they weren't, they weren't experienced experiences and talents translated for me mm-hmm. internally and for what I brought to it, but in the sort of the structure of it and the climbing the ladder of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I felt, I feel like I did a lot of like, well, now I'm a storyteller. Well, now I'm doing stand-up. Well, now I'm doing proper theater. Well, mm-hmm. now I'm going to do some interactive theater and actually make some money. Mm-hmm. And now I'm going to start a theater company and mm-hmm. I'm going to send out press releases. And, you know, and they're all... They're not in my soul different worlds, but they are in practicality in the real world. Different little absurd mini worlds. Yeah. 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 Um, so 
All of that said, uh huh. What do you think my obsession level there is? <laughs> With all three of those? Yeah. Combined? Yeah. <laughs> a ten. A ten out of ten. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I would I, say with within it, which one has the highest score would vary. Yeah. But if you're taking the three of them all together, all of the aspects of what it involves, a ten, maybe sometimes a nine. Yeah. But for the most part, a ten. What would bring it down to a nine? Um, if something else on your list has bumped <laughs> up to a ten, and you just haven't decided that this is the week to think about comedy. Yeah. I mean, I don't think you've ever had that week in your life, but. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, not not since I, I mean, when I was five, I didn't yeah. <laughs> think about uh, Freud's theory of comedy because I didn't know it yet. <laughs> Somebody had told me when I was five, that would have been great. Uh, yeah, I mean, that one, that's, I think that is one of those obsessions that is like, and, and I have these guests who are like, uh, yeah, some of these questions are weird because you're just, you're, you're just asking me like, you know. Would I buy action figures of my soul? Mm-hmm. You know, would I get a shower curtain of my soul? Would I vote for my soul for president? This is this is my soul. Yeah, this is who I am. Mm-hmm. And I think all all of those the the combination, uh, even though I can kvetch about some of the sort of uh, realizing them practically in the world, but in my soul, comedy, live performance, theater is like it's a, it's a huge part of of who I am. <laughs> Um, all right, so let's move on to writing. Okay. <laughs> what are your thoughts on my writing obsession? <laughs> I would say um, that this one also is very high up there. Definitely deserves to be on the list. Um, and I mean, we have talked about writing as an obsession. We did. We did a whole uh, separate episode, whole episode on it. We did an episode on of most of these things. <laughs> <laughs> and more to come. Um, no, I mean, I think it definitely deserves to be on the list and is also very high up there because um, because I live with you and I know you. And I know you think about writing. Even if you're not writing, you think about it pretty much every day. Yeah. Not yeah. that that's the measure of obsession, but I feel like um, it does I feel like it does influence a lot of how you look at the world and how you take things in. And sometimes I feel like that is one of the measures of an obsession um, and not necessarily like all of the world. Like, did that bird fly well? Let me think about how I would write it. Like, <laughs> that's that not what I mean. bird <laughs> in the third act or the second act? Yeah. Yeah. But like when we're, say, like watching TV or something and that's and I am not a writer and don't think about things that way and you will often be like oh well I liked you know this thing about the arc and where it came in this unexpected place and it's just kind of it's such a natural thing to you it's the way that I would be like oh I really liked that fight scene because I liked the way that that person did a movement and it just felt really organic and like it was coming out of their hip instead of their knee and that was great (laughs) and I don't think about it that's how I think and I just see the world in a kinetic way yeah and I feel like you see the world in a writerly way yeah that makes a lot of sense. So uh, I think that it was successful that I that I managed to separate the idea of writer from the idea of comedy, live performance, and theater because it could all be bundled together too. Oh, I'm very proud of you for that one. <laughs> uh, a, a part of that comes from a long time of like, which what 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 things do what words do I use? What are my me words? What are my nouns? Mm-hmm. And yeah, uh, writer. I, I did manage to just kind of separate because it's its own thing. You talked a little bit about how my obsession with writing impacts you are there do you have any times where you feel like i have been too obsessed with writing oh no i mean 
I mean, there's always the, like, oh, if you're writing a show at the, you know, and you've got a deadline. Were I you going to say at the last minute? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know. I have from, introduced some stress in our life from writing at the last minute. Yeah, but I think that's a natural part of many people's jobs is if there is a deadline. <laughs> Stressing out their partner. Whether Well, no, but like whether it's imposed by you or you're like, oh, I've known for three weeks that I need to have this presentation done or this project done or this script done or whatever it is. Like, I feel like that is just part of life that there are deadlines lines things are due and sometimes there is stress that is brought into the home because of that i don't feel like that's just because you're a writer yeah okay well let me ask you this in uh in recent times uh-huh. i have been pausing things we watch to note the specific time where uh, in a kind of standard three-act structure where certain events happen mm-hmm. to because f- i feel like i feel like this is exactly where we are and i'm really curious to see how the time matches up to uh, the most traditional structure yeah. of storytelling in, in modern cinema in particular. Does it annoy you when I pause to go, I think we're at the all is lost moment? No, not at all. Okay, good. If you stopped and <laughs> like, I need to go write this down in my chart and think about it for a little bit and write a few paragraphs and it took multiple minutes away, then I might. Oh, I would be so annoyed with myself. <laughs> yeah, I would but never no, forget myself. A quick myself. pause to just be like, eh, nope, we're good. All good. All right. So uh, painting, drawing, that's mm-hmm. not something that I actually do much anymore, but it was like my first artistic love. Uh, it's what I went to college for and got my degree in visual art. Uh, how did, I'm super interested in your outside opinion because I feel like that, that will always be a part of my soul because it was such a part of my youth in my becoming an adult, but it's not a huge part of my life now. How do, mm-hmm. does it impact you? Do you think about it? Um, yes, because I think it impacts the way that you see the world. And therefore, when we're talking about things, it impacts how you talk about things. Um, in particular, if we're looking at something that is more artistic, but it doesn't necessarily need to be art. It might be like something like, oh, it's a pretty sunset. And, you know, the colors you're really intrigued by and you kind of will bring in whether it's your own like, oh, I like this because it feels like a gesture drawing, or I like this because the colors, because of the way that they interact. Um, sunset maybe isn't a good example, but <laughs> <laughs> we have gone to museums, um, and I have asked if I, I have asked you, can I tell you my opinion about the composition of this painting? Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, definitely when we look at art, I feel like it's there, but I feel like it's there other times too. Yeah. Yeah. No, I feel like it informs your the way that you look at the world, and so therefore, I feel like. Yeah, it has impacted me in a great way. Oh, good. So I was thinking about it myself when I wrote it down and realized I'm trying to think of how I practically use it. I used mm-hmm. to use it a little bit more to make make uh, postcards for shows and do graphic design stuff. And then I realized pretty much the only time I draw right now is when I uh, draw a picture on a card for you. <laughs> for like an anniversary or a birthday or whatever. I should have thought of that right away. It impacts me because I have wonderful cards because of it. (laughs) So my point was, uh, thank you for uh, giving me an artistic expression. You're welcome. Thank you for having birthdays. (laughs) (laughs) I'll try to have more. Uh, Drumming is, again, that's Mm -hmm. something that that was a huge, all-encompassing obsession in high school and early parts of college for me. My dad taught me. Uh, to play the drums, we uh, when we had our house in South Minneapolis, I had the drums down there. Um, I've written shows that include drums, mostly just so I could get an opportunity to play the drums. Yeah. Are you glad that I am not actively 
constantly drumming in our apartment. I am. <laughs> I, I, I think that drumming does has also had an impact on you, and I think that is a good one to include as an obsession. Maybe one that's on a little bit of a lull. Um, like if we had a space, like when we, you know, had a house and it, there is a space for a drum set, I have nothing wrong with it. But if you were always needing to tap rhythms on surfaces, it would drive me crazy. <laughs> okay, good. That is very good to know. Uh, I would have absolutely driven you out of your mind when I was 16 years old. So I'm super happy we didn't meet then. Yeah, you know, good <laughs> thing we didn't live together. <laughs> I would have drummed you out of my life. Uh, yes, the uh, the radiator that I used to sit by had the paint chipped off because I had to drum along to everything on the television. <laughs> I'm sure my family hates my guts. Uh, let's move on to squirrels. Yeah. So, t- what are you, what are your outside observations of my obsession with squirrels? That it exists. <laughs> <laughs> it's present. It's. I mean, I think it's honestly, it's really interesting because. Um, because I think there there is more to your obsession with squirrels than first meets the eye. Um, <laughs> because it's an easy thing to be like, oh, I'm obsessed with squirrels. And have to be like, okay, well, then we'll give you squirrel stuff. Or you have, you know, and we, we have a lot of squirrel things, mainly because you have a lot of squirrel things, and then we have been given them over the years. And that's, that's lovely. I have no objection to squirrels. You've written plays about squirrels. You've played a squirrel on multiple occasions. Um, <laughs> But I think that it's also, um, I can't remember if I, at some point you were talking about just the like, the watching squirrels and watching, um, and I will say squirrels in California are different. I mean, I think they're like, they're, I don't know what the actual technical difference is, but they move differently. They act differently than um, the tree squirrels um, in Minnesota. Yeah. Well, what, in what way? Well, so for one thing, I have seen a lot of squirrels here, not all of them, um, almost like, um, <laughs> I haven't seen all the squirrels, we'll put that out first. But, I want to see that Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> I've documented every squirrel. That's right. I've got a photo of them. I've named them. Um, <laughs> but a lot of squirrels, um, and I don't know if it has to do with camouflaging, they're not being as many trees, I don't actually understand or know, but I feel like I see them crawl like almost slithery along the ground which I don't think I'd ever seen before I came here because I remember we were in Griffith Park and it just astonished me right I tried to take a bunch of pictures because it was a, a, a squirrel doing like a like a, it was almost like a little sexy sultry uh, belly crawl down the runway <laughs> yeah yeah it was like if you think about how like an alligator moves it was like a squirrel trying to do the alligator move instead of bounding and we had the benefit in South Minneapolis of seeing lots of squirrels mm-hmm. bound all over the place and like run around our car and things like that. Um, so anyway, that was a, a side tangent. The thing that I was going to say, I just acted like a squirrel, was that um, <laughs> early on at some point, I think when we were dating, I remember you talking about, you know, kind of the squirrels like thinking, 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 and then distracted and then distracted and that you really connected with that on a um, deeper level. So I feel like. That is a long rambly way to say that the squirrel obsession for you is not just that you like to look at them, either figurines or the lie things, but actually how squirrels interact with the world. Yeah, I mean, I think they're is that a, fair. Yeah, I think they're a charming, funny animal, and it is both like a joke and a truth that is an obsessive person. I find it relatable that an obsessive person who 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 gets really a little neurotic about 
not having enough time to obsess over enough things, that's kind of the definition of a squirrel. They're like, <laughs> right now this leaf is the most important thing in the whole damn world unless I see a twig. And then that is the most important thing in the world. And does that person have Taco Bell? That is the most important thing. Like, <laughs> I did do relate to that, uh, putting that sort of human uh, uh, truth mm-hmm. onto the uh, the actions of squirrels. Mm-hmm. I do. I assume that you're okay with the general volume of actual squirrel presence in our lives in our apartment. Just like the number of squirrel things we have. Yeah. Do you ever feel like, oh boy, I'm married into too many squirrels? Oh, no. I mean, that would have come up by now. (laughs) (laughs) I really didn't intend this whole podcast to be a marriage check-in to go, do you like this? Do you still like this? Do you still like, are you okay with that? I will try to refrain from that for the rest of this list. No, no worries. But I think um, here's what I, how I feel is that as a person who is possibly obsessed with being able to have lots of interests, having anything be the only thing I would not be okay with. That makes a ton of sense. And we are luckily very well suited that way, mm-hmm. where if we want, if we're thinking ahead of like stuff we want to do, we'll both be like, yeah, we really got to make time for these 20 things. There's yeah. all the priority. <laughs> uh, I'm going to move on. To, okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to expose something vulnerable. Yeah. I love squirrels. Yep. I have for a very long time. I have been finding myself drawn to bears and sloths as well. Yeah, uh, I, maybe I, I have my lovely sloth calendar that you, you give me and I tweet about it. So now I'm starting to get people very kindly tweeting me random sloth information, which I absolutely adore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've also just been I've always enjoyed bears. Yeah. I wanted to be a superhero called the honey bear when I was a kid. That's a whole thing. Um, but California being the state of bears, there's lots of fun bear stuff around. And I've just been into I've been having a bears and sloths phase. Yeah, yeah, you have. That's true. Is it a specific kind of bear? I think just really your traditional kind of, what would you like? Brown bear, black bear. bear. Yeah. Not so much polar bears. Yeah. Yeah. Am I betraying squirrels? Oh, no. No, not at all. Because you aren't saying squirrels go away. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not saying sloths are the new squirrels. Yeah, no, no. I think absolutely not. I'm also going to... Just say, not as much as sloths and bears. I think that sometimes maybe it's on a, I feel like maybe monkeys (laughs) used to be a little bit more in the territory where sloths and bears are now. Mm. I feel like squirrels are still kind of their own thing. Mm -hmm. Because here's here's a a revelation, revelation. here's an opinion from our marriage, (laughs) is I... Oh, God. I watch a lot of documentaries. Yes. This is a truth. It is a truth of our marriage. And the ones that you want to, you off, <laughs> not the ones, you're happy to watch all of them with me. But if there's one that is about monkeys, you're like, ooh, monkeys, and you want to come watch it. Yeah. Or I'll be like, oh, I should save this one and watch it with you. Now, that said, I also do that if there's thoughts, because I know. Yeah. But I, um, <laughs> so I feel like maybe... Maybe monkeys are phasing out and bears are coming in, but I feel like monkeys were kind of in there too. At least just to, and maybe it's the comedy of monkeys. Uh, monkeys are, I think, a particularly little like Capuchin uh, monkeys or or monkeys uh, uh, doing human things mm-hmm. are a staple of comedy. And I've even talked to people who are like, yeah, eh, I, I think that's getting to be kind of old hat, you know. 
think thinking monkeys are funny is kind of hack. Like comedy's been there and done that. And to me, it, like it almost is. I I love monkeys, like the way I love vaudeville, the way I love like <laughs> Laurel and Hardy of like yeah, it's not fresh, it's not original, it's the effing foundation of comedy. It's you know that's why monkeys are funny because they are often so close to us in it. They're in that gray area of like I know when I put certain kind of human emotions on squirrels, it, it's not entirely accurate. Monkeys are in this beautiful gray area of like, I don't, I think it just stole that bag of potato chips because it wants food, but it could be because they didn't like that guy's haircut. Like it's yeah. right on the borderline of, they could have, like there's a been thing that been passed around on Twitter that, you know, there's the orangutan who uh, just noticed that all of uh, the humans around this orangutan was washing their hands more, and the orangutan is insisting on washing their hands. <gasps> Seriously? And there's this great viral thread going around of like, if every human did what the damn orangutan did, we'd be fine. We all just need to pay more attention to yeah. each other. That's fascinating. Okay, well, I hear you. <laughs> Monkeys are old hat. They're the vaudeville. <laughs> but in a good way, they're the old fez. <laughs> Um, yeah bears are the new vaudeville (laughs) bears are shakespearean i mean come on back in the exit pursued by a bear they're classic too true anyway sorry i'm clearly obsessed uh, (laughs) debating which uh, comedy animal i personally am most invested in is silly let's move on to something that is possibly dances with the negative uh twitter oh social media in general twitter as an obsession Mm -hmm. give give me give me the truth both barrels uh how do you feel about this um that the saying you are obsessed is correct (laughs) (laughs) i feel okay i i um i feel like it's one of those things that you are very aware of that you are obsessed with it and you have had your we'll say your your peaks and your valleys your times where you've um had your definition of obsessed and you've loved it and found joy in it and found friendship in it and community in it. And I feel like there are also times where you've leaned toward the Nick dictionary definition and it's been um, not necessarily healthy or at least not all the time. And I feel like, but I feel like you have a very good sense on that and kind of know when you're leaning, when you're leaning toward dictionary definition rather than obsessed (laughs) definition. uh, If I may use that from earlier in the episode. I think that's very good. Yeah. In in social media in general, Twitter, it's other things on my list will match this, but there are obsessions where, you know, it's engineered to be obsessive. It's Mm -hmm. trying to fire off the reward dopamine uh, in, in our brains and there is a little bit of like, yeah, this is like clinically unhealthy. Not let's, you know, <laughs> yeah, armchair analyze it on a podcast. This is clinically unhealthy. Yeah. And there also is the like going back to obsession. There is a, because, I mean, you're on it a lot. And so you do get people you don't know commenting back to you. There is also that um, that kind of not, not self-critique. There's the critique aspect of obsessed of like, are people going to come at me and yell at me for something? Yes. Which I think can also lead to the obsession and the unhealthy side of it, of being obsessed with it. If you're worried and or if it's happening of that, like, are people making fun of me? Not because of the obsession, but it's um, I'm, I don't feel like I'm saying it clearly, but I feel like that's part of it as well. Yes. I, yeah, I would say I think the great thing about Twitter and one of the reasons that I'm still one of the healthy reasons that I'm still on it is that it, it ha- for all of its faults. 
it has exposed me to different viewpoints and it's exposed me to truly things that I feel like I academically understood. It is different to hear. Here's five people having a conversation about truly experiencing it. Mm -hmm. And some of them I don't know. And some of them are people close to me and I didn't know they experienced that. And I get to see that and I get to feel that and it's real. And uh, Twitter has done some scary and damaging things, but Twitter has also broaden my horizons so much in in, in such a strange way I think made me a better person because if if you use it in a certain way it's the Mm anti-silo if you construct a feed where you are getting some different ideas and some different perspectives you know sometimes it can be frustrating because you really disagree with them but it can it can broaden your horizons yeah that's such a good way of saying that yeah. Because I think people think of it so much as a silo, and it can be a silo. Everybody constructs their own, so people do build silos where there's nothing outside of this interest area on yeah. Twitter. Yeah, but, and I, I want to be clear, I'm not being like anti, anti-Twitter. anti I just, I, I think it is, it is an obsession. It does have both the great sides of it and sometimes the not as great. But absolutely, I would say I am not obsessed with Twitter, but I will also um, underline the many good things of it of just like seeing things from a different perspective or seeing things I wouldn't have seen otherwise. Yeah. And um, just getting to experience a whole different um, experiences that people have had in life all over the world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, for, for the negative part, there's yeah. definitely just the like, it's it's a video game that is tied to both my career success and soul to get get retweets and get more <laughs> followers. I mean, there's just the real practical like, if you have a show or a new comedy album or, you know, you wrote something for TV and you want people to watch it, the more followers you have, that can really help you. And it's 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 just nuts and bolts. It's just yeah. reality. Uh, but then there's also just the like, I want the validation, you know. It, but I think the times in life where it has disrupted me the most is I want some golden perfect tweet. I want some tweet that is has enough perspective and edge to be funny, mm-hmm. but isn't something that everyone's going to have an opinion on. So I'm not going to get a thousand uh, responses or people sort of, you know, correcting the joke and and looking for. I, and I've done this. This is the most disruptive to our life. Like we're sitting down to dinner and I just want to get like one tweet out because I've done too much promotion or I've done a lot of political tweets. And I just want to have like one joke tweet that everyone loves and couldn't offend anyone. <laughs> it won't make anyone correct me. And such a tweet does not exist. But I have definitely had times where I've held up our dinner because I'm looking for that perfect tweet that does not exist. Mm, that's okay. <laughs> you are the best partner in the world. Uh, all right, so let's get into some of the um, pop culture. Uh, we, we could talk about my obsessions forever, so I'm going to bundle them up. Um, well... Talk about Star Wars separately because Star Wars is different. Star Wars has been with me my entire life. But then again, my great honor and joy to get to do the the Four Center podcast and uh, really connect with a huge community that chooses to invest time and energy and love in celebrating Star Wars and talking about it and discussing it and and being joyful about it. Uh, and that has uh, allowed me because that's a part of my work now to go cool. Uh, I. I want there's nothing I want to do more than stop and read this Star Wars book and also I can because it's kind of what I need to do today for this podcast so uh, that combined with all of the new movies coming out Star Wars has been a huge part of our lives yeah is there 
I, I know they're joyful things because we've shared them. We've talked about them on this podcast. Is there ever a time where you have been concerned that I am living in a galaxy far, far away and not ours? Oh, no. No, I think you're very good at um, at, at imbuing the, the spirit of it, but always, you're always, you're always on this earth. <laughs> oh, now that almost sounds sad. <laughs> I know, I didn't mean it to sound sad. I, I felt bad as soon as the words came out of my brain. Um, no, I feel like it's, um, to me, it's one of those things that has had absolutely the joy of it. And um, we will talk about this also because it's a separate obsession with action figures. Yeah. And I feel like that's the only one that sometimes tips a little bit and it's not in a way that's not, um, I mean, I understand it and frankly encourage it. Uh, I am I am as bad at it as you are, but it's just a space, a reality. It's, we don't live in a TARDIS, sadly. So No, no. Yeah. Um, so uh, I look every day, long-time listeners of the podcast know because it comes up constantly, Um we have this table mm-hmm. in our living room where we podcast. When we set that table out, it was intended to be our, we're going to have guests over. And uh, when we set it out, I said, let's call it the lava table because you can't <laughs> set anything on it like that game that kids play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I started getting some action figures. And now there is a giant pyramid of Star Wars action figures on the lava table that have lived there since 2015, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, at first you moved them more often. I but did not used for to move them, but yeah. not anymore. Nope. No, no, no. Yeah. They've been there at least since 2016 because it was Rogue One where it really ramped up. It was. Um, and I look at that every day. It is in the middle of our living space, and I am really grateful. I think that's the right word. I'm grateful that you're okay with it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think if every surface were covered with stars, <laughs> action figures, and we didn't get to have surfaces, I would have a problem. I do have lines. Yeah. In, um, but boundaries. But no, I mean, I think it's great. Yeah. I kind of love it for the Obsessed podcast. <laughs> it, it comes up often because people reference it. But also, uh, it is this great barometer when people walk in of how the conversation about their obsession is going to go. Because I've had people come in and go, oh, wow, these are so cool. I've had people come in and go, oh, geez. And my favorite, I've had, I think, about three guests who come in. They see my pyramid of Star Wars action figures and say, oh, you're a weirdo, too. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, I thought I was going to be too obsessed, but look at that. (laughs) This must be okay. You do a podcast called Obsessed, and you're okay with it. <laughs> you're clearly obsessed. You're an adult with a table full of molded plastic. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, that's been good. Uh, all right, so we move along from Star Wars. So uh, other other pop culture obsessions that have meant a lot to me over the years uh, and in current years, uh, Doctor Who, Twin Peaks, James Bond, superheroes, uh, superheroes including uh, comic books, all of the popularity of recent movies, all of the CW uh, television shows, all, all of that. Kind of bundling them up because I, I don't want to take the time to talk through all of them. Uh, what is your feeling on on all of those? You you have your own relationships with them in different level of engagement. Do you ever feel like I am too obsessed with uh, sort of my collection of pop culture favorites? 
I don't. I'm starting to question myself. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I would say, I mean, I think for me, it's like, these are all things that I enjoy. And, and honestly, like you said earlier, you do Star Wars is ever present for, you know, a lot of reasons. You've got the Star Wars podcast, we've had all the movies come out lately, all the books come out. But I feel like everything kind of takes its turn and nothing for the most part overpowers like daily life yeah like it's not like oh i can't talk to you because i need to watch a video about what somebody who wrote one of these said and i have to watch it right now like i feel like we still have our life and it it includes you know watching a lot of these things if it comes to a tv show or a movie but it doesn't it's more it's in your walking home from school time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like like you'll be <laughs> Yeah. Um, you know, like it 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 might impact what you're reading or what you're thinking about and it does impact what we're watching, but I don't feel like it ever impedes us from doing other things. Yeah. And, and I, to and to me that's what's important. Yeah. And I feel like you and I have have managed to have a a good and clear relationship on which ones speak to you. Like you, yeah. Like we watch the MCU movies, we watch the CW superhero shows together, and that's that's an us thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you watch all of Twin Peaks with me, but uh, I have rewatched it without you because my sense is you enjoy it, but it's not doesn't need to be a super huge part of your life. Yeah, yeah, I enjoy it, but I am not obsessed with it. Yeah, and, and even some of. Um, you know, like I think there have been a few TV shows or movies. I'm like, yeah, it's fine. But if you need to watch something and I'm not home, that's fine. Yeah. Let me ask you about the beginning of our relationship, since this is uh, turning into just being about <laughs> our marriage. Um, I was really conscious in different periods of my life to different levels of I grew up in an era where the stereotypical thing was girls aren't going to date you if you're too into pop culture stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a stereotype. And I think it caused a lot of damage uh, to everybody Mm because I think it it limited women who like those things just as much from being seen and heard. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it it is the source of a lot of that self-deprecating humor Mm -hmm. that people do to this day of like, I'm talking about Star Wars, which is why I'm single. And like in some ways that joke is still funny to me, but I think it is caught up in uh, sort of baggage. Mm -hmm. So when you and I started dating yeah i think i was aware of trying to have a balance of owning it and saying i love these things they're a part of my identity they're a part of my life but i can also totally put them away and talk about something else when you when you and i started dating was there any like oh he likes pop culture a lot um I think there, I think that I, there, yes, <laughs> I think there was, but part of it, it wasn't, but it wasn't in a bad way. It was just that I, I like pop culture, but it wasn't a thing that was super important to me. And honestly, some of the like Star Wars, Doctor Who, I mean, honestly, when the fact that you were willing to watch Doctor Who with me when the new one came out was thrilling to me. Willing. (laughs) Chomping at the bit. Right? I mean, but I feel like that's one of those things of like, oh, that's such a stereotype. But I hadn't watched all of it. I had not tracked it down, but I was very excited it was coming back. I was, you know, moving to London to go to grad school at the time and absolutely wanted to watch it. And so the fact that 
I didn't have to twist your arm to be like, hey, why don't you try this thing? Um, was fantastic to me. Uh, so that, I mean, that's a specific one. But I think that some of the other, um, I had come from not that long before we were dating, not owning a TV. <laughs> so right. for like a significant period of time, and it wasn't like a... I don't want to watch TV. It was just kind of like I had lived with roommates and the TV was theirs. And then I lived by myself and just didn't need it. I was busy doing other things. I didn't have a lot of money, so I didn't feel like spending the money on a TV. Yeah. And wasn't home that much. Yeah. And, and if, I, if I may interject, yeah. for you described your high school life of being a quadruple threat. I mean, when we were starting to date, you had like three jobs in you were in two different dance companies and like you, you were still a, not that you aren't now, it's just that you have one specific job. But back then you had oh. multiple jobs every day, multiple rehearsals or shows every night. You were, you were doing, doing, doing. Yeah, no, I, it, yes. I, and I, that's a good clarification. Like I would, you know, I would come home at 10 and have to be at work at eight the next morning. And that was seven days a week. So um, it wasn't, it just wasn't a thing that I had thought a lot about. Yeah. And then I did have a TV with a VHS player. <laughs> and then I got a DVD player. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> just to uh, date us, I don't know, we've already been dated many times. Um, I, uh, so, I, so it wasn't like I wasn't watching things, but, but I think it, w- it just wasn't a big part of my life. Okay. And so I think that honestly was the biggest change to me. It was like, oh, okay. Well, if we're... If if we watch TV, then I will take up knitting and crocheting again because I need something to do. <laughs> knitting is another huge huge obsession of yours. It is, but that's kind of when it came back because I had stopped because I didn't have time. Right, but then when I was like obsessively, we let, let's look at the screen. You were like, my hands got to do something. They were. So in a way, our our obsessions got married too. They matter exactly. <laughs> Pop there we culture go. and knitting. Aww. And then I wrote a show about knitting, so you could knit a bunch of stuff, and I could <laughs> make jokes about knitting. Uh, all very good. So uh, in in chasing down these sort of stereotypes, um, yeah. Was there? I, I understand everything you're saying about once we're married and together, kind of adjusting to. How we spend our time. Yeah. But was there a moment where you had any of that sort of stereotypical negative baggage of, oh, I I like him. I've seen him because you, you would come to shows. So you mm-hmm. knew me as a performer and a writer and, you know, a doer. Somebody who's out in the world doing things. Yeah. When you saw that this this part of me that is a but I would also like to watch three hours of Doctor Who if I could. And I want to collect action figures. Was there any part of you that was like, that's not for me? Mm, not that I remember. Um, <laughs> I think at that time you were consciously not collecting as many action figures. Uh, that's very true. I was not. And honestly, not, and I don't mean this even in a in a judgmental way. It just wasn't something that I had a background in, that I had a familiarity with. And so there might be like, okay, let me see what this new thing is and figure out how I feel about it. But it wasn't... Um, like you had action figures up in your uh, in your apartment, but it wasn't an act of like, oh, there's always new things coming in. And kind of the way I got introduced to it with you was when you were also in the UK with me and we were looking for 
in particular Doctor Who action figures yes. because we were in the UK and that wasn't something you could get in the US. So it was a fun discovery process. Um, and so I think that kind of was the correct way to ease me in. <laughs> That's a really good point because a part, a huge part of my action figure love is the hunt and the discovery. Mm-hmm. And that was a thing that we got to actively do together. Yeah. And we both liked the show and it wasn't like, here, here's this action figure of a Slothene. You don't know what that, like we knew and we were in it together. Yes. You know, and we, you, you liked the Ninth Doctor too and really wanted, we're, you know, super excited when we finally found him, you know? Yeah. And it was a fun thing to explore different parts of London together. And it wasn't like, oh, we're only going to go here and then we're going to go back and watch it. It was like, it was, it was kind of like the catalyst for different you know, exploring different parts of London. Yeah, a catalyst for adventure. Yeah, That's exactly. That's what action figures are, a catalyst <laughs> so in that for adventure. context, they're great. Okay, so uh, I'm going to ask you about another possibly uh, negative obsession, an obsession that is also uh, joyful, but engineered to make you want to get rewards in, in the chemicals in your brain to go, woohoo, yeah. and that is video games. Mm-hmm. Uh, in our relationship together, I have had times of being all in and mm-hmm. times where I've taken literally... Uh, years breaks from yeah. playing them because I, I don't have great control. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about uh, being married to a kind of gamer? <laughs> I mean, I have no problem with it. I, I think, I mean, I feel like I just keep coming back as like, you know, nurse Sarah who just wants everybody to be healthy. <laughs> um, but I think to me that is, it, it's about balance. And there have been some... Um, Honestly, one of the ones that I was like, oh, that's not on there. That's interesting. But I guess it was a part-time thing. Not part-time. A shorter-term thing was Zelda. Oh, um, Because yeah. you were very obsessed with Zelda when we were first dating and first married. Yes. And um, another good time for me to knit is if – because if, if it's pretty, like Bioshock, I'm happy to watch it. And if it's not, I've got lots of other things I'm doing. So, But I think it's the – to me, it's more about the like – is it interfering with the rest of life? Yes. And then I have problems with it. And if it's not, then it's like, cool, that's what you're doing. Like you're reading a book, you're playing a video game, whatever. Yeah. You're not demanding that I sit down there and watch the video game. You're not. And honestly, I will say, because I'm not a gamer, I just, that's not a thing that I was around. It's, I have, I have large um, kinetic coordination small finger coordination <laughs> on a joystick like or controller or whatever they're actually called now no like i <laughs> <laughs> whatever they're called now <laughs> controller right yes yeah. i was laughing they're at myself called wham boxes <laughs> no <laughs> that you hold in your hand it's the handheld wham box i mean i had an early joystick that i plugged into my computer <laughs> the gestures <laughs> we downloaded uh from the wii a game that you yes, played when you were a kid. What yeah. was it? Load Runner. <laughs> because it, it was my gentle attempt to get you to enjoy. It wasn't yeah. trying to like sell you, get you all in and be like, let's play Load Runner for five minutes, then you'll be hooked and we'll kill each other in Mortal Kombat. It was but it was just like, what if we could enjoy this together? And we yeah. played Load Runner for a little while. Yeah, and it was super fun. And but that's the thing is I played computer games, not um controller games. Console, yeah. Console games. Um, it just wasn't a thing that we had when I was growing up. And um, so I think that honestly to me is a fun thing because you would, you were always willing to share if I wanted to try it and I would try it and die in about five seconds. 
and then give it back to you. <laughs> and there wasn't a demand that this was that I also spend a lot of time doing it. Yeah. And I think then I would have had a problem with it because it wasn't what I wanted to do. Yeah. But yeah. for you to do, yeah, that's... Yeah, and that's, it's very true. We've, we've had some nice times. I think uh, with Zelda, I believe it was a Skyward Sword in particular that you watched a lot of. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was really, really fun. You got me some great Zelda gifts. You made me a gratitude crystal, mm-hmm. uh, which I think was from that that game. Yeah, um, but there there have been times in our relationship where I have crossed the line, but I think I have auto-corrected. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, because there are times earlier in my life where I really crossed the line with with video games. But uh, just just for fun, uh, for an example of unhealthy obsession, I can laugh about it now. But I felt so <laughs> bad at the time. It was our first apartment together. Mm-hmm. I was playing uh, Resident Evil Four for the Wii. Mm-hmm. Is the one of the first games that I played on the Wii, which was exactly what I wanted. Where that remote control made aiming the gun super intuitive and easy. And I was trying to beat a boss, and it was a boss that the only way you're going to beat this is by running in circles and shooting it from different angles. And I tried for like two hours straight. You had made delicious, wonderful enchiladas. We were watching House on DVD, and I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Give me a few more minutes. Give me a few more minutes. And I finally got to the point where I was like, okay, I'm going to, I think I beat the, I think I beat the boss. Mm-hmm. Um, I turned it off. You brought out these delicious enchiladas. We started watching this episode of House, which was like a really important seminal episode <laughs> of House. And I realized that the room was spinning and I I had to go lay down. Mm-hmm. And I felt the deepest of shame <laughs> that it was a special television night. You had made a special meal. And I really had a, you can't do this. You You just hit video game rock bottom, dude. You can't do this. Mm-hmm. The funny thing is, is I, you've told that story and I remember it very well. I don't have a clear for myself recollection of that evening. So just so you know, it isn't burned into my brain. <laughs> Good. Um, but, but I think that's the thing is you did self-correct. And because I am a nurse, Sarah is what I've decided to call it with. <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't, I'm not sure if I'm okay I don't with think that. that's what I mean, but anyway. <laughs> it kind of cast me in the role of patient. No, I just mean like healthy boundaries for the world. <laughs> <laughs> but you self-corrected. And I think to me that is often in terms of what for us and our relationship therapy here on the podcast or discussion, um, that the boundaries are what are um, often most important to me. Okay. Okay. Good. And I I think that's great. And if it had been like, yeah, no, this is going to be like, you're going to binge on video games and for three months straight, you're not going to be able to, you know, eat food because you're going to have to go lay down. (laughs) I got the spins. I might have been like, okay, the bread's on the counter. Help yourself when you're ready. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, and I've been playing a lot of uh, Star Wars Battlefront 2 for like the last two years. And it's been like, the, uh, there's definitely been some times where like, eh, I should have stopped an hour ago and got back to my work. But uh, in general, it's been pretty controlled. Yeah, yeah. Which is great. Um, so uh, music, uh, Guns N' Roses and Frank Sinatra are two of the <laughs> many other bands I like. I've had Beastie Boys phases and Cake and Lady Gaga and all, all sorts of different uh, artists over the years. But uh, Guns N' Roses and Frank Sinatra. Guns N' Roses was very uh, defining for me as a youth, a, uh, a release for being uh, angry. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and Sinatra was really like kind of in my uh, early college years, just a, a discovery of understanding 
a different time in a different uh um there's a lot i related to him about mm-hmm. uh when i because i had grown kind of grown up with i knew who frank Sinatra was from jokes on cheers or mm. johnny carson and kind of like oh he's the my way guy he's the bossy asshole and then discovering like uh incredibly intense creative thin <laughs> which i was super related to a very thin guy who was actually, you know, for the majority of his life, incredibly liberal and, you know, got an Academy Award for a short film about tolerance in the 1940s and just like discovering. I think I love his music uh, because like, it's very, very um, he uh, he emotes. You feel he he's not just a technically great singer. Mm-hmm. He makes you feel what he's singing. But then also just for me, the obsession was partially learning his history and learning that the uh, way that you see somebody in pop culture from little peaks through the keyhole is maybe not the entire truth mm. of the person or the thing. Mm-hmm. And and I think that was a big part of it. And honestly, because, I mean, uh, Frank Sinatra is a, a, a man of his era and he did many frankly incredibly progressive things that people don't know about or don't give it credit for but he also did and said things that are not at all in line with what i believe are the times now right and same thing with guns and roses and, right. and they are there that that was their thing we are an angry rock band their album is called appetite appetite for destruction there's going to be some disagreeable things that, <laughs> that's the point yeah but those are the ones that i sometimes sometimes like i can articulate why i love them mm-hmm and I am honest with myself about the things that I'm like, yes, I, obviously, I don't actually agree with that or support that. But I get I get nervous about saying it, that they mean a lot to me. Yeah, I think that's understandable because I think I think actually what you just said in the key the keyhole, because I feel like a lot of people, um, any band, but especially or musician, but especially ones who are so seminal for a certain era or a certain statement that may or may not be what that band or person was saying but what they think they were saying that's all people think and so i feel like and i feel like your obsession with them is so deep and so complex um that it is not at all the keyhole like oh i just like their music or oh i liked their hair you know things like that um or frank sinatra had blue eyes and i have blue eyes so <laughs> go us <laughs> go us um, I feel like it's so it, it it was funny when you were saying this because I forget sometimes that you came to your Frank Sinatra obsession a little bit later than honestly most of these. Yeah. Because I cannot imagine you without your Frank Sinatra obsession. Yeah. Or your Guns N' Roses obsession. Yeah. Because to me they they inform a lot of things also. Yeah. I think there's something about Frank Sinatra that's also just like valuing history in the past, which you and I connect with. Yeah. And my obsession with Frank Sinatra started at this specific time that I've that I've gone back and reflected, much like I thought about my youth. I've thought about like, well, why do I feel the way about I do about modern pop culture things? And I realized the late 80s, early 90s, everything I loved ended. Guns mm. N' Roses was done by 93. Doctor Who went off the air in 89. Star Wars was gone except for a couple of uh, Timothy Zahn books. James Bond, License to Kill, 89, it didn't do well in America. And then James Bond was gone 
for a long uh, period of time. So like uh, the early 80s or late 80s, early 90s, I feel like just as I was truly becoming an adult, <laughs> the world's lesson was everything you love will go away. <laughs> and like Frank Sinatra, uh, he was still making albums then, but like his 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 back catalog was set. Right. He wasn't going to go away. Right. You know? Yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah. And it's a, it is in some ways a safe thing because yeah. it's there, but it's also a modern thing because he's still around. And it's also informing because the interpretation of him was, I think, constantly changing and still is. Yeah. Twin Peaks was gone by yeah. uh, and Firewalk with Me is 92 and that's it. Yeah. All, all the way gone. Yeah. Which is also just like so many of the things I've loved have come back, which I think is also, you know, just uh, increased my positivity. Of mm-hmm. Like we're uh, I lived through a period where within a span of about two years, everything I loved ended. <laughs> yeah. Be grateful that it came back in any form or fashion. Yeah. And it also keeps it that a lot of your obsessions are current and can be active obsessions and they're not just nostalgia. Yes. That they're about moving. How how do these things move from the past into the future? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. All right, we're we're gonna wrap up uh, with uh, with two uh, two two obsessions left. Excellent. Martinis. How do you feel about that obsession? I say as I sip my martini. Yeah, well, I'd say it's a good thing I learned how to make martinis at home. <laughs> it really is. I, I, I yeah. Mean, uh, I, yeah, I, I've always liked martinis. I like the aesthetic. Uh, I haven't always. When I was five. <laughs> no, I didn't. I honestly, like, I didn't really get into, I think, as soon as I started comedy, I, I have found humor in alcohol, mm-hmm. which, again, I, I also want to be careful about because right. I do respect its its power. Um, but, like, uh, I, when I was in high school, I was doing doodles of martinis because they were like the symbol of both being urbane and like the the dangerous lure of alcohol so all that but i didn't didn't actually start drinking them until long into when you and i were together i so i have a question for you did the martinis did you have an obsession or an interest in martinis before the frank sinatra interest just a loose understanding of them is iconography okay they were to me like they were the ultimate adult cocktail right right of course they were untouchable right and it's the glass as much as the martini because when you're younger you're like that's a martini because you see the glass like you don't know is that right it's to me it was like the rolls royce of alcohol in my kid mind yeah of course you know uh and then once i and then when i did start drinking it was uh, a lot of beer and uh, is a joke. Like I joke drank. I drank Carlo Rossi wine as part of our show. And like that, yeah, that stuff is, it will take the paint off a car. Like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so in our modern times, I, you know what? I think it was honestly, I think the true beginning of my martini obsession was the show on the first Joko cruise. And then uh, Kevin Murphy of Mr. Science Theater and Rift Tracks. Mm-hmm offered to buy me a drink and i was like i'll have what you're having he's like i'm having a martini he's like okay let's do this nice and then i was like oh they're not this like unattainable rolls royce (laughs) they're just a thing you can order at a bar anybody can have one they don't ask for your special person card (laughs) i didn't have to present a special person card that's so funny yeah so here's the thing um uh, i think a funny thing interesting thing about martinis and you 
and <laughs> and my relationship with them is early on, I want to say when we were, maybe when we were first dating, definitely when we were first dating, you were doing a show and the promo photo that was out for the show, you were doing it with your brother, you were laughing and holding a martini glass. Yes. And it is has always been one of my favorite photos of you. It's a really so, good photo. It's really good. Our friend Jen Scott took it. Give her credit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, don't, I didn't know that there weren't martinis in it. Um, but I think I have always associated you with martinis because I had seen, we were friends and I, I knew you obviously, but um, but I saw it I think before we were dating and I always associated that photo. Or maybe it was right as we were starting to date. Yeah. So anyway, so I have always associated a martini in your hand. That is so funny. That And that makes perfect sense because part of what that was is uh, my brother and I had been doing a late night comedy show, as you know, you come to a very often called Look Mono Pants. We had made a big, it was a comedy variety show late at night. We had made a big shtick out of the jug wine Carlo Rossi and we included it in every show and it was a whole thing. And then that show ended and then we we're going to start a new show. And we kind of wanted to both advertise and make a joke of this this new late night show is not going to be as sort of uh insane dangerous constant pratfalls <laughs> yeah. uh, uh blood and violence cuz people got injured in the previous show uh and i wasn't even drinking martinis and it was just sort of like let's in order to kind of joke on our image in the comedy world at that time mm-hmm. let's let's have like martinis and be like this is going to be a slightly more sophisticated version of us and in that photo, we took a bunch of staged photos. Uh, it was the last photo we took. Uh, I can't remember exactly what happened. I think I laughed or whatever. I accidentally spit the water that was in the martini glass <laughs> on my brother, Joshua. And then he kind of, and I'm laughing. And then he kind of turned to the camera with a baleful look. And that photo was gold. That That's photo cool. was in uh, Oprah Winfrey's magazine. <laughs> because the... Oh. Uh, Oh yeah, the 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 year that we submitted it for the Minnesota Fringe Festival. Yeah, the Minnesota Fringe Festival offered. Oh, here are our photographs, and they picked that one. Mm-hmm. It's That's a great it's photo. It's a total like you cannot pose for it. It's absolutely an honest moment. Yep. Yeah. So, so yeah, absolutely. Martinis are one of your obsessions because I picture a martini <laughs> glass in your hand, and I just want to say that it's a great thing that I learned how to make them. I remember being on the bus going to work reading an article about somebody who had done tests of different um, proportions of gin to vermouth, because we are both gin martini drinkers, I yes. will say, as opposed to vodka martini. Um, and so I was like, so I think I came home that from work that day. I was like, hey, I read this article about like different proportions for mar- martinis. Let's make them. Yes. And the rest, as they say, is history. Yes. It's been a really delightful obsession because <laughs> it is something that we've shared and shared as much as I make jokes about them, post a lot of Instagram photos, and sometimes people are like, Jesus, but mm-hmm. it, it is utterly in moderation and utterly in joy and, and utterly something that you and I get to share. So it is one yeah. of my favorite obsessions because of all those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Final obsession, podcasting. Yeah. Do I do it too much? <laughs> <laughs> um. No. No, definitely not. I mean, it's been really interesting as it has become one of your jobs. And it's a thing that happens a lot. And I think, you know, there's been the transition for us in our home of having a podcast station that got set up and taken down a lot to just like, nope, that's just, it's part of your office that lives here. And that is, um, 
It's fine. It's great. I don't, um, I don't have any issues with it. Well, good. Okay. <laughs> We've been talking a lot, so we're, we're going to begin our wrap-up procedures. I always ask guests to make a noise to sum up their obsession. This podcast has been about the idea of obsession, but mm, mostly my obsessions. Do you have a noise to sum up my <laughs> obsessions? You know. <laughs> I mean, as long as they're healthy. It's... <laughs> Uh, that's, that's, <laughs> that's me making fun of myself. Uh, no, that's, but apparently that's it's my obsession. Also. I mean, we've talked about how obsessions kind of make you who you are. They mm-hmm. reveal things about you. They reveal your choices. Um, so really when I ask you to make a noise to sum up my obsessions, I'm asking you to make a noise to sum up your husband. Oh, okay. <laughs> I can't just say, well, as long as you're healthy. <laughs> I think as long as you're healthy. It just sounds like you have a really low bar for husbands. It does. No. Uh, as long as they're healthy. No, I I can't put it into to noises. Let's see. Um, you want me to make a noise to sum up your obsessions? Sure. Um. <laughs> I'm not done. Okay. Uh, you could just leave it at slurping because nope. I, I slurp it all up. Choom. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, it's the sound of drinking a martini, and then it's a lightsaber. Oh, a lightsaber! <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, and then laughter. A, a lightsaber, a martini, and laughter. I would, if 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 that is my life, I would I would be so honored. Mm-hmm. That's that's the crest out of sound I tried to make for you. That's so beautiful. So I, I always like to ask people to rate their obsession as well. So on a scale of one to ten, one being the lowest, ten being the highest. How obsessed do you think I am with the idea of obsessions? Ten. <laughs> and not higher. No, no. I didn't no, no. break the scale. No, maybe, I mean, maybe a nine. I like to give people room for growth. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. What, what, do you. what can I do to get to a ten? <laughs> I, I mean, it's, I think probably it's a ten. <laughs> That's good. Finally, being, being held back. Just like when I uh, played that video game and got the spins. Yeah. Got to yep. hold myself back. Uh, yeah. So we are going to do some plugs in just a moment. We'll do our final questions. But I did want to say that I, I am very thankful for people who have listened to Obsessed for a long time or people who have uh, come even recently and still downloaded all the episodes and gone through all the changes of Obsessed. It has been such a delight to do this podcast because it has really just made me celebrate how... I see people and how people um, how, how people's obsessions help shape them and that idea of the finding the universal through the specific. Mm-hmm. There's so many people who come on like, oh, I share that obsession or I wish I had time to do that obsession or I will never be interested in that thing. <laughs> but there is such a commonality in the the way that we interact with things and the way that we love things and the way we choose to make things a part of our lives has been really, really beautiful. And I, we got to have a nice talk about our obsessions and how they impact our marriage. And I hope that people <laughs> found a little bit of the the universal through the specific in that. Yeah. 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 That's a beautiful thought. Oh, thank you. Uh, plug time. Where can people find you on social media? Uh, when I remember to post, you can find me at Sarah underscore Scrimshaw on Twitter and at Scrim Street on Instagram, where I also sometimes post tri- uh, photos, photos of cocktails and trees. 
Cocktails and trees. Pretty uh, much what it is. And you, you cannot miss out with those two. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram is at Joseph Scrimshaw. You can follow Obsessed Podcast on Twitter and Facebook is at Obsessed Podcast. You can also check out the Star Wars podcast I co-host. That is called Force Center. For info on all my upcoming shows and comedy albums and stuff, you can check out my website at josephscrimshaw.com. You can also support Obsessed by backing us on Patreon. Full info on that, go to patreon.com slash josephscrimshaw. All right, we're going to do our final questions. They're special ones for our 300th episode. If you could do any fun thing 300 times in a row, what would you want to do? (laughs) Okay, I'm going to start with what I came into my mind first, and then I'm going to instantly change it. (laughs) Because what I was going to say is jumping jacks. (laughs) Well, if you could do Um, 300 jumping jacks, that would be extremely impressive. Yeah, but like what a waste of that opportunity to be able to do 300 of something. I mean... Okay, I'm, if it's a safe hill, I'm going to say like somersaults down a hill. How fun would that be if I could do them without getting sick? That is perfect because you are in nature on an organic <laughs> slope, and then you're trying to do this structured, <laughs> flowing, yet still organic movement yeah, of yeah. 300 somersaults. Yeah, given the, cav- the caveats that there's no rocks I can hit my head on, and I'm not going to get sick. <laughs> right, because one could interpret 300 somersaults down a cliff as falling. Well, but I was picturing like a, a grassy slope. A rolling hill. Yes. Like a sound of music hill. Yes. The hills perhaps. are alive with the sound of somersaults. Exactly. Perhaps there's some wildflowers and I'll get to like smell the nice fragrances <laughs> as I somersault through them. That is, that is a beautiful picture. <laughs> uh, if you lived to 300 years old, how would you celebrate your 300th birthday? Oh, with a really good martini. <laughs> uh, how would you make sure that it's good? Would it be giant no no i'm that's not healthy (laughs) if i have learned anything i would say i would have um i would hope that i was still able to walk so i go for a nice slow paced stroll um my birthday's in the spring so it's a great time for smelling flowers maybe the lilacs would be blooming i love that smell and then i would find a nice bench where you and i could sit and cheers and have a nice Good four to one ratio of gin to vermouth uh, martini. Nice. Me with a twist, you with our olives. Mm-hmm. Our olives. They're your olives. <laughs> I just want one olive. <laughs> <laughs> Me with my twist, you with your olive. I'm not going to edit that. I don't care. And then we would sit mm-hmm. and smell the lilacs mm-hmm. on your 300th birthday. Yeah. That is beautiful. The final question now seems redundant. Final question for everyone on the podcast is always, even here on our 300th episode, what is happiness? Being able to celebrate my 300th birthday on my 100th birthday. (laughs) All right. I'll see you in uh, several decades. (laughs) And I hope between then. And all of the years in between. (laughs) Didn't I tell you I'm going to go play a video game now until we're 100? (laughs) Too far? Too much? Too far. All right. We will celebrate with martinis and lilacs (laughs) on your 100th birthday as though it were your 300th. And that is going to be happiness. Thank you very much. That is our very obsessive podcast. You've been listening to Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest shared some stories with the rest. Rate five stars if you're impressed. I still have a little martini left even after that whole podcast. So I'm going to finish it.